Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Yes, I know. I know it's not Thursday, but I've had a really tough week. It's been really difficult, and I'm not joking. Um, it's been uh, it's been busy. It's been my little boy's birthday, and it's been half term. And then this week, one of the kittens decided to leg it out of the back door of the house, under the fence, and off into the city centre of Manchester. And I spent from 9.15 in the morning till about 9.30, 9.45, I don't know, maybe later, trying to find this kitten and reassure a 10-year-old boy who was much more positive than I was. I was going, we're going to find him. In turn, now I'm going, there is no way a few months old kitten is going to survive roaming around the streets of Manchester with cars and people and other cats. So... I was just losing my tiny mind, and he was very positive, going, he'll definitely come back, he'll definitely come back. So I'm walking around every half an hour, every street, shaking cat food, shouting his name, I'm knocking on every neighbour, have you seen this cat? In the end, if anybody follows me on social media, you know I had to put it up on social media. And then, unbeknownst to me, uh, the Manchester Evening News put something on their website about it. So anyway, I'm down on my knees, still shaking cat food at like 9.30, 9.45 at night. I'd had neighbours out looking, still no sign. And I'm, I'm, I was literally on my knees, looking under cars yet again. One more shake of cat food, and unbelievably, this tiny black but now very dusty little kitten just comes running at me and I just screamed to one of my neighbours who was around the corner going, I found him! So much so that my little boy heard from the house and I brought him in, gave him some food, he was totally fine and uh, I think we all had a small cry of joy that he was back uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was very very stressful day and I didn't need any more stress in my life but this little kitten decided to add to it uh, I'm not saying that that is an excuse why we didn't deliver you an episode yesterday but uh, just to keep you up to date with uh, what's going on because I, I, obviously I don't uh, ramble enough on this podcast um, but I'm very happy because I was supposed to meet up with actor and stand-up comedian Rachel Jackson, who is a huge ball of energy, and I've been a big fan of her since I saw her in uh, 2019's film Beats, which we talk about very briefly. You must catch it. Um, it's, it'll definitely be on Netflix or Amazon. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a really fantastically funny and wild film. I think you'd really enjoy it, so do... Do go and check that out. Um, anyway, we were supposed to meet up 
in person in the end we couldn't so we've had to go back to the remote just for a few more weeks hopefully and then we can meet up with people in person but yeah this week is uh, a brilliant conversation with rachel jackson she's very funny she's very candid um there is uh, not as much swearing as, as as what you would have thought um, but it's great. It's a great episode. I'm glad she sat down with us. She sat down. I'm glad she shut down. I'm glad she sat down with us. I don't have to talk that slow, do I? Um, so yeah, I really, really hope you enjoy this. She's great. This is the Two Shot Podcast with the brilliant Rachel Jackson. There's a police car, probably after some kittens. Uh, I'll see you at the end. Uh, Rachel, how are you? I'm good, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, how's it felt to start back gigging oh, slowly? I mean, honestly, it's music to my ears just to be back out on the gigging scene, you know. It's been it's been a pretty crappy year. <laughs> <laughs> but as ever, I always thought that theatres and you know, comedy clubs would be the last to open. Because especially, as we know, most comedy clubs, they're not like big arenas. They're small, yeah, exactly. sort of sweaty yeah. cellars. Yeah. And it's the worst, you know, with everyone laughing next to each other, it's like the, it's like kids, it's like super spreaders at comedy clubs. <laughs> yeah, they're like primary schools. They're like little petri dishes of bacteria. Yes, and exactly. the last place and happiness. I kind of want to be going. <laughs> and laughter, which is what we need. I know. So, no, I am so glad, but I keep getting gigs cancelled, left, right and centre as well, because of COVID rules changing every five minutes. So... But you'll have already sort of booked travel and things, wouldn't you? Yeah, because I'm actually learning how to drive at the moment. Right, how's that going? It's going pretty good. Um, Everything about my personality would suggest that I'd be a rubbish driver, but (laughs) (laughs) it's the opposite. I'm actually pretty good. Yeah. Are you trying to say you're someone that, that, that lacks focus, Rachel? My, well, actually, no, it's more like hyper-focus when I'm doing one thing. But with driving, as you know, you've got to do like 18 things at once. Yeah, but safety, safety, <laughs> safety, that's paramount. That's put, number put that, one. <laughs> put that to the top of the list. Okay, then that's the... Safety is like my last priority in life. Okay, make it your first, otherwise we need to stay off the roads. Stay off the roads That's everybody. (laughs) No, honestly, I really enjoy it, but after every lesson, I don't know if this is normal or not, but after, (laughs) probably not, you're going to tell me it's not. Every time I come in from a driving lesson, it feels like my brain's been in a microwave for an hour. Well, the thing is, you're, what what number lesson are you on at the moment? Five. Right, you're right. (laughs) Okay, look, hey, we all start somewhere, I mean, in about... In about six years, I'm going to have to start doing it with my little boy, who's already asking. He'll only just turn ten oh, when boy, he can drive. I went, not yet. Not we'll yet. Be going, we'll be going around deserted sort of car parks <laughs> late at night in supermarkets <laughs> where you can't hit anything or anybody. Exactly. But it's quite intense because you're in that car for at least an hour. Yeah. Sometimes you're doing double lessons. There's a lot of information you've got to process whilst you're focusing on the road, whilst you're focusing on <laughs> other drivers, and you've got... A driving instructor, yeah, and this isn't a diss to any driving instructors listening. I, I, I've had a few in my time. They're quite dull with their personality, <laughs> you know. They're, they're, 
Yeah, driving instructors, they're teaching people in a car how to drive. And I, I take it you're masked up at the moment. Masked up as well. And, you know, in, in my, like I, I'd started, well, when I was 17, I started driving lessons and then I ran out of money and patience around the same time. So I stopped. <laughs> And then I lived in London for seven years where, you, you know, as you know, in London, you don't need don't to need drive. Don't need to, no. Uh, and then I went out with a guy for four years who drove. So again, didn't need to drive. And then that, it came to an end uh, just before the pandemic. And I thought, right, this is it. Finally, I need to learn how to drive. As a 33-year-old woman, I'm getting it done. And so my mum took me out for quite a, quite a long time last year. Like, I would drive her to work and everything. So I was getting pretty good. But then I was like, right, now I need to get professional lessons. And then, you know, when suddenly you've got, like you're saying, I'm suddenly in this car with this, this guy and all my bad habits that I picked up with my mum. Because oh, yeah. people, you, you shouldn't go on lessons with people who've been driving for 20 years or 30 no. years. Or, they, they don't know how to teach. And why should they be able to? That's not their, you know. But all that, yeah, they're not teachers. You know, it's a bit like, that. well, it is like there's parallels of, of quote-unquote home homeschooling, which, thankfully, <laughs> you didn't need to do, but... I'm not a teacher. Yeah, you know, no. there's people who actually do homeschooling. This yeah. is some some somebody coined the phrase emergency education, which I thought was much um, <laughs> emergency uh, education. Yeah, I mean, it's a much more perfect way to describe it than that. But also, yeah, you're quite right. These people have been driving for 10, 15, 20 years. I know. They're not teachers. They're just passing down their habits. Yeah, exactly. Actually, yeah, you see, see what I did there? Don't do that. Yeah, don't, that's what my mum says. Do don't listen to anything I'm saying. And I'm like, well, why are you letting me drive? <laughs> why are we in the car? <laughs> why are we in the car? So this guy, he's, at, he's really nice, to be fair. Uh, but, yeah, it's like my brain. I've got a theory. I've got a theory, Craig. I've got, a, like, a, he's like my third cousin. You know, those weird relations, you don't actually know what they are, but they're like family. Yeah. He t- he uh, sat his test 13 times and failed 13 times and he can't drive. He went to Oxford University. He's like the smartest person I've ever met and he can't drive. I've got a theory, the smarter you are, the harder it is to drive. I think so because I remember, you know, when I was 17 and I was in the northwest, and there was all these absolute idiots who <laughs> yeah. just passed their test yeah. and they were out in their Escort yeah. XR3Is yeah. and just bombing it around. Going, yeah. I've got- how are you on the road? Totally. All the way Neds from my high school, like past oh. at like 16. Just for those that I know, just for those that don't know, um, could you explain what a Ned is? Oh, right, yeah. So Ned is like uh, the Scottish word for chav. Which is a non- Non-educated educated delinquent. delinquent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if anybody hasn't seen the film uh, Neds, then you should definitely go and see that. Check it out. And, from driving lessons to horse riding lessons, and I'll tell you for why, Richard <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> I, I, um, the other year, in um, the other year, seems a long time ago now, it was in 2019, mm. I was in the arse end of nowhere in Yorkshire because mm. I'd been sent off to do some horse riding lessons oh, the next cool. day. So I had to get there in the evening, and it was for work. It's not like it was not something that I fancied doing, but I hadn't yeah. done it. I hadn't done it for a long time. I, I did say that oh, I'm totally fine on a horse. I just need a few refresher lessons and I'll be fine. The size of this thing, yeah. man, it was huge. <laughs> yeah. um, but I found myself kicking about this very small Yorkshire town and I didn't know what to do. Mm. And there was a beautiful cinema there and I thought, well, I'll go and see what's on. 
And there was a film that I wanted to see called Beats was on. So I went to go and see that before my horse ran. No and that's where, yeah, and that's where I first saw you, which was such, I don't talk about work that much because on the podcast, as you know, but it's kind of different for, for certain people because it's like, well, not that I want to put you in a bracket, but you know, you're a, you're a stand up and now you're, you're, you know, you're doing lots of acting and this wasn't just out and out comedy acting at all mm. or the, mm. it, the film wasn't a comedy there's was such darkness mm. to it um but how did you get involved with that because I, I still think it it didn't get enough praise about what and it should have done because it was such a classy film yeah it's beautiful and, and a largely untapped and undiscovered cast yeah yeah Honestly, it's funny because see, when we were filming it, right, we were all buzzing and we were all gassed. We were like, "This is it, guys! This is it! This is our big breaks!" Like we were all, you know, <laughs> when you're like in the in the van on the way to to set and all that, and we were like, "This is it! This is it!" And then we're filming the rave, and we're like, "We we knew it was special. We knew it was a special film." And then halfway in, uh, about three weeks into filming, Stephen Soderbergh came on board to be the executive producer. Of course he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine us all on that bus on our, our way to work that day, like, oh my God, Stephen Soderbergh's attached. Like, this is it, guys. Uh, one of my pals on it was, I won't, I won't name names. She was like that. I swear we won't be able to buy milk after this. <laughs> 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 we were all gassed. <sighs> she was like, we won't be able to buy milk. This is like, oh. this is it. We, we will, we'll get stopped on the way to the shops. And we were all gassing ourselves up beyond belief because we knew it was a special film, you know? And then it was like getting reported by Deadline Hollywood, the new train spotting's currently filming, you know? So, of course, we were really excited and, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, it is, a, it is a brilliant film, but I think it's just a, a number of things. I don't think enough people saw it. Uh, maybe the the PR campaign was didn't have an, as much money as it as, as it should have. Or yeah, I mean it's always the thing, especially with independent cinema, that people have just you know it's blood, sweat, and tears. And you know even before the cast have got on, there's probably years and years of development and producer hell that people have to go through to actually. Go right. Here's a call sheet. We're on first day. We're filming. I know. We're filming. We haven't got enough money of what what we wanted, but we're here. Yeah. And we're going to make the best of it. And you really did. I thought everybody was. So, can you just tell people that haven't seen it? Because I do want people to see mm. it. Oh bless you. <laughs> um, because it's much. If you described it or you read a blurb or even I think if you saw the trailer, you'd go. I'm not really sure that that's <laughs> for me. Yeah. But there's so it's it's so rich in detail. Mm. Yeah, so it's a black and white film. It's set in 1994 in Scotland. All right, stop you right there. Black and white, no. Next minute you'd be saying subtitles. <laughs> it's like, no. It's, it, but it's so funny you say, when you say that about it being black and white. Yeah. It's so colourful. I know, I know, and I know that that Do was... Do you know what I mean when off. I say that? I know, because it really when I, is. we didn't know it was going to be black and white when we were filming it, so we just assumed, you know, why would you assume it was going to be black and white, right? And then when I was, I, was, I bumped into a guy uh, at this industry thing who said, oh, have you seen Beach yet? Because he'd worked on it as well. I mm. said, no. And he went, you know, it's black and white. And my face dropped because I've got a thing where I say to people, I, I don't like black and white films. I don't watch films before The Godfather. Like, I'm like... Oh, Rachel Jackson, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> I know, I know, it's ridiculous. But it's, again, like what you were saying about focus. Like, it's something about, I, I don't know what it is about my personality, but unless it's like, you know... Bright and colourful and got Robert De Niro in it. I'm probably not interested. No. <laughs> yeah. 
but you know what I mean. I, I just I just don't really have patience for black and white film. But but in all fairness, I've tried to go back on that now because I think it makes me sound like an idiot when I'm such a film lover. So I watched Whatever Happened to Baby Jane last oh. year, and I was just like, wow, like why why have I not been watching more Bette Davis? you know, performances, because that's... Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, that's, like, my dream role, like, her performance in that. And I'm like, the only thing that, that put me off for all these years watching a film like this was because it's in black and white. And then I saw it, and I was like, this is unreal. I wasn't bored. It's like, it's quite a long film as well. And, oh, yeah, yeah. But it's just something... But you can understand what I'm saying. A lot of people don't want to sit and watch a black and white film, especially when you can use colour. It's not like, you know, this is 100 years ago. But also, there's, there's certain people from... Um, you know, a different generation who will not touch a, a film that's got subtitles. Yeah, so I know. Sometimes maybe I might say to my dad, oh, right, so look, I've seen this incredible Italian film. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's right up your street. Yeah. There's subtitles. No, nope, Yeah, fine. no, not interested. I'm OK, not interested. Yeah, because they think it's an extra level of concentration. And I do get that. I do get that. Well, I get that. But for some reason, I don't know why, my little boy, uh, obviously apart from when... We're going to the pictures, which we haven't done of late. But for watching films at home, he likes to put the subtitles on. Yeah, my my friend does that. When yeah, she's watching, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I think I'm into it. I kind of oh I really? Like, yeah, I don't. Well, I think it's because right now I don't really have a choice because if I'm we're watching something, <laughs> that's why it, we've kind of come to the conclusion that. Well, yeah, you're going to put the subtitles on, and I'm going to let you do it. Well, right, I'm going to go off to the kitchen to go and make popcorn. Yeah, um, and he, it's it's just something that he he gets more out of a film with the subtitles on. That's interesting. I wonder why that is. I don't know. Yeah, because I must look it. I must look into it a bit more. Yeah, because my friend, we we're both on a Grey's Anatomy binge at the moment, so we send each other screenshots of which bit we're at, and mm-hmm. I saw that she had the subtitles on. I went, "Oh, why have you got the subtitles on?" She went, "Oh, don't slag me off. It's just." And just enjoy it more with the subtitles on. And I was like, what? Because I would just read it. If the subtitles were there, I wouldn't be looking at the, the people acting. I'd be looking down at the words. But you get into it. You, there's something really? about it. Yeah, you get into it because you're looking, you're reading and you're watching at the same time. So maybe it's adding another layer of, of richness that we've been missing for all these years. But I don't know, sometimes obviously you're forced into it, which can be a good thing. Mm. But we went to see... Um, the original Godzilla. Oh right! At, at, at the cinema, what, not long Matthew ago. Broderick, like the pure original. No, the original from nineteen fifty-four. Oh, right. See? See I mean? Rachel, yeah, this I is know. what there's, I'm talking about. There's an. I'm forty-five. He's ten, <laughs> and he knows more about a nineteen fifty-four Japanese film than I do. But obviously, the subtitles are on for that. Yeah. Um. So maybe you got into it that way. Yeah. Because he's, he's well, such a enough, fanatic. You know? Look, whatever works, and, you know, we never stop learning. I can learn from him, and if that's... Whatever if that's, works, baby. <laughs> if, if that's the way that I'm going to consume It sounds like movies. you've got Stockholm Syndrome, though, Craig. You're like, yeah, I kind of don't mind the subtitles now. <laughs> yeah, it's called being a dad. I've kind of got no choice, Rachel, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So have you always been quite... Because you're, you're quite an up character, Yes, yes. And, and uh, as as a human being, the little I know. Yeah. But, but you are quite like that on social media as well. And sometimes I do read things that you put out and I go, I don't know where, <laughs> I don't know where the Rachel, the, the actor or the stand-up sort of ends and Rachel, the human being. Yeah, I know. Uh, sometimes it can be a bit blurred. Yeah, and I think that's kind of part of what I'm trying to do. 
if I'm being perfectly honest. Like, I think I have got a big personality and I've always, I've always had one um, since I was little. Like, um, my dad only told me recently that, like, when I was a kid, people thought I had ADHD. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but people would say it to my dad and my dad would be like, no, she's just spirited. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, yeah, um, I don't know. I've just, I've always had loads of energy and I've always been... Like with my comedy and stuff, I like very deadpan, very dry, very... I've got a very dark sense of humour. Like my favourite genre of films is horror films. I could watch 10 horror films a day if I had the time. Um, So I'd say my personality and my humour is quite extreme. And I do like... I I like... Because I think my favourite actor in the whole world is Christian Bale. I'm completely obsessed with him. And so I think that's quite a good example of, you know, the intensity that I like to put out there as well. And I also, I do like to confuse people a bit. I do want people to be a bit like, is she having a mental breakdown or is she a genius? <laughs> you know? And I, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what I'm going for. <laughs> and are you good at, cha- have you always been good at channeling your energy in, into your work? Because I mean, on what I'm thinking about, sometimes if you're spirited, mm. <laughs> one would say, you know, I'm taking Mr. Jackson's word here. Exactly. Um, Sometimes at school, they don't like a spirited child. Oh, no. They like God, to no. keep things in order and yeah. people in their boxes. Yeah. So how, how was that for you at school? I would get told, why can't you be more like your brother? Oh, right. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> my brother's super intelligent. Like, he went to St Andrews Uni, um, and he's, you know, a really intelligent guy. And, uh, in fact, I've got some news about him that I can't reveal yet. So hopefully if the listeners listen to this, by the time this goes out and stuff, I'll be able to reveal my brother's exciting news, but that's that's doomed for now. But, um, yeah, so I got told, why can't you be more like him? Because he was, like, really studious, really intelligent, very quiet, and I was just the complete opposite, like an absolute maniac. Um, but, you know, some teachers liked me, some didn't. It's just, you know what it's like at school. Look, that's just the way it is. You can't please everybody, and nor should you. Nor like, should sometimes you. I, I tell my little boy, look, don't get frustrated, but you can't be good at every subject. So no, just, of you know, you carry on focusing on. Apart from the we are souls that are. <laughs> yeah, we're told that we have to be, but we know, we know that's not true. Yeah, exactly. Because I was, I was, this is just about me at, at high school, I was top set English, bottom set maths. And mm. I think that a lot of kids have that where they're like really good at something but just appalling at something else. And it's a shame because then you're in math class and you're getting kind of treated like you're just a bit dumb. And I'm like, no, that's just not the way my brain works. But put me in an English class and I'll I'll get A's. Exactly, yeah. So it's just, you know, but you, it's like hindsight's a funny thing, eh? I wish we could all go back and tell ourselves, like, don't worry, don't get yourself stressed out. Because maths, I used to dread it. I used to dread it. And, and now I quite enjoy doing maths, like when I'm doing my wee invoices and stuff. <laughs> well, it's like when I've been going back and teaching and relearning long division, not, not, not for fun, right? So not, not for, for fun, fun. Obviously. never for but fun. But it's like, oh, right, I kind of get it now, so... It's a bit like when I had to try and learn music theory. It's 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 just a different language and it's a different code. Or it's a bit like when you're baking a cake. There's lots of different elements to it. So you be, but it's not like when you're cooking a dish. You can be creative and experiment yeah. when you're cooking. But when you're baking a cake, my God, you've got to be scientific and carry on and look at that recipe because if anything goes over or yeah. anything goes under, I think it doesn't go in. You ain't got a good cake. So That's it's just it. to say, once you know the code. And the rhythm and the language yeah, of it. Yeah. You're good to go. Everything, everything else falls into place, I'm sure. But when did stand up comedy come into your life? Oh, stand up comedy only came into my life um, 
you know, quite recently, like 2015. Which, really? Yeah, which is very, like, a lot of people would still consider me a very, very, very new comic. Mm. Um, but I'd always liked having a laugh and I'd always liked, like what you were saying about my Twitter, that I remember at drama school, because I was like one of the only working class people at my drama school and it was very posh and, Where, where know, was that, Rachel? I, I was at Rose Brufford. Right, um, okay. Yeah, and um, I loved it, but there was times when I absolutely hated it. I think that's quite normal for a drama school experience, but... Um, there was one guy in my year, like, looking back, he was a total prick. And he, he was just very judgmental. And I, at the time, I thought it was just to me. But since I've spoken to other people about him, and they were like, oh, no, he was like that with me as well. And then other were like, oh, yeah, no, he was like that with me. Because he was he was just so judgy and so condescending, very patronising. And one time he... Because I'd done a tweet, because <laughs> I'd actually been on a date and the guy had accidentally, accidentally broken my hand <laughs> and I'd ended up in A&E. And I'd what, on the date? <laughs> On the date, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't know it was broken at the time. It was just, like, really sore because, like, my pinky was, like, pretty much hanging off. It was, like, down there. But we still went back to his and everything. And then he just gave me, like, peas from the freezer. And I just, you know, ow, 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 and just went to bed. So it didn't end up that well. But then the next morning I, I woke up and I was, I, like, pain I'd never felt. So I went up to A&E and they misdiagnosed that they thought it was just a broken pinky. Mm. So they, that's all that they did an x-ray just bandaged up and then sent me off, off my way. Three weeks later, I was still walking around like that guy in Scary Movie. Like, my hand was like that for weeks. I lost so much weight, I couldn't eat. Because, you, you know, when you think about it, you can't cook with one hand. No. So rather than trying, I just would I just stopped eating. Again, this is my personality. I'm like, it's quite extreme. Rather than getting someone to come and live with me for a couple of weeks and help me out, I'm like, well, I'll just stop eating. And I'll just eat a chocolate bar or whatever. <laughs> so I was going into drama school getting skinnier and skinnier. My hair getting like it was like Amy Winehouse. It was my hair was like up and like a big bee's nest. Matted um, bee eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, matted bee eye. And people are like, "Are you okay?" And this is when I genuinely wasn't okay. Uh, it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like now when it's like a bit of an art what I'm doing. I was just a mess. And then eventually I went back to the hospital after three weeks, and then they did another X-ray, and they were like, "No, your hand is broken. We need to put you in a cast like immediately. Like we're so sorry that someone." So I'd be walking around for weeks with a broken hand and I didn't even know. But anyway, long story short, I'd done this tweet, like a comedy tweet, like um, when your your date goes so well, you end up in A&E, like hashtag winning or something. And this, just, just a bit of a laugh. And this boy in my drama school was like, Rachel, you know, because we were in our third year of drama school at this point, And he was like, you know, you're really going to have to um, calm down this persona of yours because people aren't going to want to work with you because you just seem like a complete mess. And, you know, and and I just remember thinking, you don't know anything about me or about what I'm trying to do, even though at the time I wasn't trying to do it, I was just a mess. <laughs> but like, you might have been honest something. But my point is, is that I always knew I had, what I'm trying to say is like, I've always had utter faith in myself and my abilities and in, in what I do, um, like with my acting. And like, like I wasn't a stand-up then. I was just purely focusing on the acting. But I always thought I was like really, really good. I always had such utter faith in myself despite any obstacle. Mm. And this guy, that's just one example of the way he was with me. And it, is, it has haunted me a bit. I'm, I'm a very sensitive person. I'm very, I'm very, I'd say I'm like very emotionally intelligent. But when someone says something like that, it, like it stays with me forever. Yeah. I don't know if you've got I think all performers have a bit of that, you know. Well, I think they do. You know, at the end of the day, you, they can stand up and say, uh, look, what you say, I don't care. It doesn't hurt me. 
and then they can walk away from that situation and probably just have a little bit of a cry or, 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 <laughs> or a down. worry yeah. or, or a small breakdown in the corner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, yeah. I always, I'm always intrigued about people who do read reviews. Oh, yeah, there's uh, one um, review that I still haven't read from the Edinburgh Fringe 2017. I refused to read it because my ex-boyfriend at the time read it for me and he said, don't read it. <laughs> so I still haven't read it. But, so it's not, still, but it still haunts you? Well, not really, because at the end of the day, it was my first hour at the Edinburgh Fringe, and I got a bunch of five stars and four stars and three stars, so it's like, I did, you know, I did really well, and I got loads of great reviews, but also you get two-star reviews. The yeah. only one I didn't get was a one-star. I was gutted. I was like, can someone just give me a one-star, and then I've got the whole lot. I've ticked all the I've boxes ticked, from I've my first Edinburgh. Yeah, exactly. I was actually, I got three two-stars. And one of them actually, like two, one of them was quite a nice two-star review, if that's, you know, if that makes sense. It's, it read it read more like a three-star. But one of them apparently was just nasty. And I thought, well, what's the point of reading that? I'm not that much of a narcissist that I would want to inflict that on myself. So I just thought, what's the point? Because you know what they say about reviewers, you know? Exactly. And also, if you're doing, and I'm, I'm taking you were doing the full August of yeah. Edinburgh. Yeah, the full thing, yeah. I mean, if you're going to start reading reviews at, at the, the top of a run, I know. That's a, that is a long road to oh, walk yeah. down for a long if you've got that. Dead man walking. Yeah, exactly. No way. That's not conducive for No, Edinburgh. I know. But if, I mean, if you've ever like met comedians who, whilst, whilst in Edinburgh, whilst they're doing the fringe during August, they're all mental. Because it's just, you're, you're not sleeping right, you're not eating, probably drinking too much. It's just a mental month. Good reviews, bad reviews. For your mental health, it, it really isn't a good, uh, isn't a good thing. Yeah, and the majority of, of comedians aren't just doing their show. They're popping on and doing other people's or they're going to do little, a little, like, uh, what, what's that, what is that very famous, it starts at like midnight. Oh, um, late raw. in life. Late in life. Yeah, I've done you know, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's always doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And that is, I've been once. Yeah. And it was as if, like, the monkeys had taken over the zoo. You know it what, was just Craig? Just drunk, I'm... scared. I mean, it was scary. Like mental. Nuts. That sounds like my kind of gig that I do well at, though. But <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, Craig, I did late in life 2019, the last fringe there was. Mm. I had a kidney infection. And I still, because honestly, comedy is an addiction. Stand-up comedy is an addiction. I was ill, I was on my antibiotics, I was recovering, and I still went and did Late in Live. And I was, like, hobbling on stage. Because you're that desperate. You're just that desperate for the for the gig and for the laughs and for, well, for the money as well. But, um, and I remember, it was crazy, because people had warned me about Late in Live. They were like, it's mm. mental. Even if you enjoy rowdy crowds, it's mental. This is, yeah. Exactly what you level. said. Yeah, like, the monkeys at the zoo, just crazy. So I go in there kind of expecting that and ready for it. They were like zombies. It was like, really? it was mental. I got so unlucky because I'm, I'm a comedian who particularly likes a rowdy crowd. No, I'm not talking so crazy that you can't hear yourself think or talk, but ones that, you know, people are really engaged, really up for it. An odd wee heckle. I don't mind heckles. As long as they're not nasty, I don't mind people getting involved and having a bit of a laugh. As long as they're not pissing everyone else off to the point that they're not enjoying it. I, yeah. I, I think I've got a quite a good uh, balance, like, to how to, you know. But, um, yeah, when I did Late in Live, Craig, it was like, it was about 100 people just sat there. I don't know what they were on. But they were just, they were just, like, to all of us, not just me, Jade Adams was hosting it, and I was on, and there was other, other acts, and 
we were all just getting like nothing, no reaction. I was like, why are you uh, still out then if you're all wanting to go to your bed? Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly that, you know, Sunday morning 10 o'clock comedy show where you I just know. sit there and let it pour over you. It's, it all th- it thrives on that wave of audience interaction yeah. all the time. And it's like a, there's, there's always a real sort of buzz of energy in the room. Totally. Rooms. Late in line, like you said, it's like a notorious gig. Uh, and I, I, I just got it on a bad night, I guess. And it was like 2 a.m., me with my kidney infection, up on this stage just thinking, well, this wasn't worth it. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully when it, everything gets up and running and late and live comes back, then yeah. you'll, you'll experience it a bit different. I but, hope so. Rachel, for somebody who, you know, as you say was so focused on training to be an actor. Mm, mm. And I know that it's that you still that still happens and the two sort of work in tandem. But when did stand up comedy come into your life? Because it's very different mm. for someone saying I I'm dead funny down the pub or I'm dead funny in this sort of uh, this situation. To get on stage yeah. is quite is so exposing yeah. and working your way up and doing your five minute slot and yeah. ten and yeah. sort of building everything up until you've got your first sort of yeah. forty five minutes or an hour. Yeah, it's well, all, I can only sort of describe it as an addiction. And like I said, I'd always, I'd always like, I think had a good sense of humour and made my friends laugh with all my ridiculous dating stories and just all the mental shit that happens to me. And we are allowed to swear on this, right? It's actively encouraged. Oh, Craig, I've been saving the C word so long because it's like my... I'm Scottish. We say it like it's nothing. Exactly. Don't I, worry. I have enough Scottish friends. I understand. But I get in trouble, Craig. Wherever I go, they go, oh, you can't you can't, you can't, can't say cunt left, right and centre on this gig. And I'm like, well, I don't want to fucking do it then. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, yeah, I was just... I was I was minding my P's and my Q's just in case. Um. Please, the flood, <laughs> Bring it the on. floodgates has, have opened, the Rachel. Open. <laughs> Carry on. You'll regret that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, no, basically, I'd, I'd always, like, I've, I have lived quite a mental life. Like, I've lived in lots of different places geographically. I've had some crazy relationships and stories, and I, I always enjoyed, re- like, retelling them to people. And I, mm. I love I love a good story. I love telling them. I love hearing them. I love reading them. So storytelling, I think it's just the most amazing, and that's why I love good good films. And and um, as much as I still love acting, and I'm I'm definitely an actor. And acting's my first and foremost passion. I feel like stand up, like the stand up comedy world, has given me more and more quickly than acting has ever given me. As you know, with acting, like it's a hard, hard, hard industry. And I'm not saying stand up isn't at all, but I feel like if you're good as a stand up comedian, you will be rewarded for that a hell of a lot quicker than if you're a good actor. Because there's a million good actors out there who aren't working. Yeah. But with stand-ups, if you're good, you do get rewarded for that. You will book gigs. And also, as a stand-up comedian, you have complete control. You write your material. Oh, Craig, it's you're getting, you're getting on the train, in your case, in the car for other people. Yes. You'll be in the car soon. One you're day. driving to the gig just to, you know, not earn loads, to get that five-minute buzz. yeah. And you're educating yourself, so you're learning as you go, totally. driving all around the bloody country. Yeah. Oh, no, you've, you've definitely summed it up. I feel like my life, I, I feel like I'm in control of my own destiny now, as, as wanky as that might sound. Whereas before, when I was just an actor, I felt like I had no control. I found it really quite depressing. You know, as much as I was liking to write things and try and put on my own one-woman plays and all that kind of thing, you, you kind of feel like you're 
your your careers and your agent's hands and it's it's it can be really scary and that's why well, there's it a, is you know yes the, you have to wait for the door to open yeah and, and then you have to make that choice of whether you want to step through yeah once you've been welcomed and then if not oh well wait a minute the door's just going to be slammed in my face <laughs> i know it's it's a horrible feeling and I, I applaud actors who 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 do just consider themselves solely actors who like do that their whole entire lives i think i you know that's incredible to have that kind of because as much as i i, I know i'll always act and everything but this like the stand-up buzz and, and what i've achieved in quite a short space of time it's so inspiring and it just makes you keep going, right, well, well, what's next, what's next, what's next? And it's just that buzz. And like you say, I write, if something crazy happens to me, I'm like, oh, well, I'll write it into a bit, even if it's something bad. And a lot of people don't have that control in their lives that if something bad happens to them, they either have to go to therapy, bury it deep down inside of them, or just try and get over it. Whereas stand-up comedians were like, oh, that was shite, but that'll be a good bit. <laughs> yeah, in a way, that's your therapy, yeah. to get on stage and tell everybody yeah, what happened. totally. And I, I think now more than ever, and certainly over the last few years, you don't have to do that one thing. You don't have to just be... I know a lot of actors used to be quite angry when stand-up comedians, and they've only ever been stand-up comedians, oh, they're in a new TV show <laughs> or they're in a film. Wait a minute, you're, why are you coming into this arena? Just you get back yeah, on stage with your microphone, please. Get back please. on your mic! <laughs> but now... People can go, well, they do X, Y, and Z. And they're known for X, but they also do Y and Z very yeah, well. And yeah. that's accepted now. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely fine. It should be. It should be. But I still think we've got a lot of work to do. I think we're way behind America on that on that regard. When you see the people in America who are actors, writers, comedians, stand-ups, they do, they do it all and it's celebrated. And it's, whereas here, I, I still think we've got a lot of work to do. Like when you think of the UK circuit... People who are actors and stand-ups and writers, I'd say it's a much smaller pool than it is in America. It's just, I think it's like you say, I think it, it's, it's, it can go in your favour, you know, have it like being sort of multi-skilled, but it can also go against you because uh, over the years people are like, well, what are you then? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, what do you mean, what am I? Google me, bitch. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one way to start a meeting, Rachel Jackson. I haven't had the balls to do it, but maybe it'll work for you. <laughs> No, I, I mean, like, when strangers, you know, people that have got no foot in the industry at all and judge you, well, what have you done and what have you been in? And oh, are, you, God, are yeah. you that or are you that or what is it? So what's your biggest passion then? And if you had to pick, if you had a gun to your head, what would you pick? Stand up or acting? You don't have to. And I just think, what, what thing... kind of party is this? <laughs> Not one you want to be at, certainly. You know? But you don't have to choose anymore. That's the thing. And I think the people that... Uh, are sort of the gatekeepers and maybe they're commissioning editors and producers. They're going, well, I want a certain type of person who can do who can do all of these things because mm. that's what we need for mm. this certain thing. But also, on, on the other hand, there's certain people who just shouldn't be doing it. Because, <laughs> do you know what I mean, though? It's like, just because this person is a fantastic storyteller in stand-up sometimes and that we've seen it it does not translate well into other arenas of course yeah so people just it, yes it needs to be supported more but i think personally i think it needs to be filtered more yeah as well 
Well, I feel like that, I think that with the acting industry as well, it's so oversaturated. It's just crazy. Oh, yeah. You know, when yeah. you see on Twitter, like, because um, I did a call out in January because I've, I've been writing a, like a, a pilot sitcom uh-huh. set in a female Scottish prison. And I thought, oh, I should um, put a tweet out just to see what Scottish actresses are out there, just to, you know, for people that, to have in mind as I'm writing. I didn't, you know, Twitter, you know, sometimes you can do a genius tweet and get 10 likes and other times some crap you write can blow up or whatever. But I just wrote, hey, if there's any Scottish actresses out there um, who, who like comedy, maybe give me a, send me your CV or whatever, um, because I'm writing something. Craig, it was mental. It was absolute hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Scottish actresses. Like hundreds and and, and it sort of both um, comforted me and terrified me. yeah. Because you're like, wow, like, there's just Where so many. Where have you been? Yeah, yeah, there's just, and, and that's just Scottish, that's just the Scottish actress pool. That's, you know, every, there's every pool for, you know, different types and everything. And it's just like, oh my God. Yeah, it was sort of a, a crazy moment where, the, the, you, you know, there's the big, the top tier of people obviously you know about. And then there's like all the, the like the ladder and, you know, between all that. And then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more. And it's just, it's. It got overwhelming because I was like, I actually, if I was to sit and watch all these, and now I suddenly felt like what a casting director must feel like every day. Yeah. You know? And I thought, I, I, I had more empathy that day for casting directors than I've ever, ever had. Well, that's why you understand why, why they have to work from certain lists. Yeah. And, and, you know, talk about filtering. They have to filter a lot. I know. Because can you imagine, and I'm friends, some really good friends of mine are casting directors. Yeah. And I know that their inbox sometimes just gets overwhelmed with these people throwing it out out there. And of course, look, of course they have to do it because they've got to start getting their foot on the ladder of the business. And we've all been there. It has to be done, especially in the the last year, especially for the graduates. I just think you poor, poor buggers. I know what a time, what a time to graduate from drama school. It's meant to be like the most exciting, you know, stage of your career at at that point. And just to have it, torn away from you a bit but I think that goes for not just acting graduates but every every industry in the world this last year has suffered and you know it's like I feel like honestly again I'll sound like a pure mad hippie but I feel like it is going to make the human race a nicer bunch of people this pandemic I hope so anyway I would hope so to be honest I mean I've certainly noticed have I noticed? I mean, that's the thing. I don't know because I haven't really been out that much. Yeah, no, it's crazy, isn't it? But I'm just starting to... But even when I've been walking on the street or I've occasionally, you know, over the last week or so, been out for a meal or Mm. I've been actually in a pub, I'm going to places that I know. So, of course, people are nice anyway because I know them. Yeah. But I would hope in different environments where it's not something that you're comfortable with or, oh, look, they're so-and-so and they always serve me that drink or whatever. Yeah. I know, how you doing? They're always nice. I hope that you would go to somewhere that was, you know, slightly alien to you and there would be a bit more kindness than yeah. what there used to be. I think there's definitely, like, a, a empathy running through the whole world at the moment. Uh, obviously, some people, you know, there's the anti-vaxxers and, oh, you know, people, everyone's got their own opinion, whatever, even though I think it's crazy. Um, I did a video, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter the other day, I did a video of me, it was like anti-vaxxer outside a vaccination centre because I'd found this rave song that was like, 
injected with a poison it was cold <laughs> <laughs> so i just did a wee video of me in my living room like dancing to that you know it's like who's the crazy one yeah you know, I know. J- jay rayner the food critic put out um a tweet uh, the other day saying how he went to go and get his second jab mm. and he was uh he felt really grateful and he was just sort of thanking the NHS. And he said, but I was in the cab on the way to or from, I forget, getting the jab. And the taxi driver obviously, you know, wanted some conversation as they do. And he told Jay Rayner why he wasn't going to get any jabs because he'd been doing some uh, research. And oh, he'd right. Been, uh, he'd been doing some research and he's come to the conclusion <laughs> that, yeah, no, the jab isn't good for us. Yeah, and it's like, I, yeah, it's the arrogant, isn't it? Of you know, I know, I, I, I've done, I've done ten minutes of reading, so I know more than that Oxford yeah. grad scientist or Absolutely. or whatever. It's, it is wild. But at the end of the day, obviously, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. You don't have to take something you don't want to, you know. But come on, guys, do you want to go back to normality or not? Because this is our quickest way of doing it. I don't know why well, people can't get that. I would hope, I would hope, um, the more positive among us outweigh. Uh, the negative. Yeah, I, know. I would hope. I know. It's certainly, the most, it's certainly, I don't know any of my friends that are that are anti getting the jab at all because they know that it's not just for them. Yeah. It means that they can for mankind, know, man. I know, but they can go <laughs> and see true. the closest people that they haven't seen for a year. They I can know. see their parents. Their parents can see their grandchildren. It's just, it's a no-brainer to me, but you know. Research, you know, if they've done the research, then. <laughs> well, I was I was in uh, Cardiff a couple of weeks ago. I was in the lift at seven o'clock, and I was going down to work, and I had my mask on because I'm in a hotel, and mm-hmm. it was still had, things hadn't opened up, mm-hmm. and the 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 doors pinged open, and there was, uh, I'm going to describe him as a geezer. He was a geezer. <laughs> a geezer. It's a geezer. Um, uh, it was just about to come in, and I went, oh, sorry, it's only one one person in the lift at a time. And he got all huffy with me mm. and went, I've had two fucking jebs. And I went, all right. I said, but you're still not wearing a mask and I don't really feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Is that all right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was when you fucking prick. And then the doors was, the doors <gasps> were starting, oh, no. the doors were just starting to close. And, and he sort of went for me and then the doors closed oh, just in time. So I was quite <laughs> broken. But I was like, I don't need that aggression, and I certainly don't need it at seven o'clock in the fucking morning. Who's got that amount of aggression at seven o'clock in the morning? Like, that's like waking up angry, ready for a fight. Oh, selfish people. You know? Unhappy people. I don't know. You know? But I love that accent, Craig. That was great. Thank you. I'll cut that bit out, don't worry. Um, (laughs) No, I loved it. Rachel, speaking of the writing, how is that going? Have you got to a point where you're talking to producers and commissioners? Because that's another... Oh, That's no. another level. You know, we I were know. talking before about how Beats was probably flung around from office to office for years and years and years. Um, this is this road of development it is precarious and rocky. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's funny because, like you say, because for all my years being an actor, when you book a job, obviously it's a brilliant day. But, you, yeah, you're totally ignorant to that it's been two, three years in development, maybe even yeah. longer. I yeah. saw a thing the other day that Stephen Fry is doing a project that... They've, it's been in the work since 1993 or something and it's finally happening and you're like but if it had Stephen Fry attached that that terrifies me that I'm like if it's taken that long and I don't know you don't know all the ins and outs of it but I think people 
the general public and people in the industry sometimes aren't always aware of how long these things um, can take. But um, that's that's another sort of funny thing is I remember my first script that was like bought by a production company, and I was like, oh, that's it then. Like you know, it's like because he'd you know they'd seen my show at the Fringe, and I'd written a sitcom that was pretty much based on the Fringe show about this sort of bunny boiler character who's desperate for a boyfriend and all that, and they bought it. So they gave me some money and they were like, we want to buy your script and then we'll have, we'll own it for like a year or whatever and we'll try and get it made. And so that in my head, I'm like that. Well, that's it, guys. Like, not going to be able to buy milk. <laughs> exactly. I was just about to <laughs> yeah. say that then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. Because you just think, well, someone's bought my script and it's got me in it and I'm the lead and, you know. And then the year goes by, nothing happens. Um, obviously, you keep the money, but then you own it again. So they don't own it anymore. The time's passed. But it's just like, wow, and that was like, what, 2017? And it's now 2021, and that script's still nowhere near, uh, you know. But, you know, it happens to everyone. There's, I mean, if you yeah. speak to any writer, uh, you'd be you'd be hard-pushed to find someone who had the first script bought when they were 17 years old, and then that was it. It's like, it's a long, long... So I, I don't feel, I don't really get down about it because, again, I'm still quite a new writer. You know, I only, I've always, I've always, like, kept a journal, um, since I was 14, oh, honestly, Craig, say if I read you some of the, the entries out of my 14-year-old self, it was wild because I grew up on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Virgin Suicides and, like, my mind was just, oh, I thought I was a poet and it was just the cringiest thing. Like, you know... There's, your, I, <laughs> there's your new character sitcom <laughs> idea right there, right? Yeah, like the cringiest thing you've ever... Like, they do... I, I've been determined to find one of those because apparently they have these stand-up comedy nights where you take your old teenage journals and you just, like, read, like, a page out. And everyone's no. increasing at how cringy That is such a fantastic idea. I know. Wouldn't you love that? Like, I, honestly. I mean, it'd be brilliant. I mean, I it still would... cringe at stuff, I, you know, because I, I, I do. I keep, I've kept a journal since I was 14. Not every single day, but most days since I was 14. Like, I'm, I'm quite religious about it. And see if I was to even read you something from two weeks ago, I'd be cringing. So what's that to say? You know, cause well, it's... yeah, I was going to say, I don't need to cringe about something I did when I was 14. Yeah, you know, exactly. I'm, I'm 45 and I can tell you a few weeks ago it was awful for me, awful. Yeah, exactly. Like, why would we want to do that to ourselves? But, um, yeah, so what, what I mean, though, is I only started really writing properly um, when I was at drama school. And, again, that, just, that was born out of frustration of, like, the whole acting thing of, like, at drama school you're getting cast in parts that you would never get cast in... in the real world, unless you're mm-hmm. a big star and then you can kind of just do what you want. But And it was just feeling frustrated and a bit stuck because at drama school you can't really work professionally. I know some drama schools like you, but um, mine certainly didn't. So you're just kind of like stuck for three years, even though you're working on your craft and all that. But I just, and I was living in Sidcup, Craig. I mean, come on to fuck. Right. You know, it's. You know, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, I've never, I've, I think I've passed through Sidcup. Yeah, I mean, I know it's not very original. We just call it Shitcup. It's not like the best name ever, but, but there was a restaurant. I don't know if it's still there. There was a restaurant in Sidcup called Sophie's Choice. Right. And that sums up to me. That sums up Sidcup. <laughs> I just think, what the fuck? Like, who designed that? Was that you know some sort of Nazi sympathizer who owns that place? Like, what the hell kind of name is that? No, no disrespect to any listeners that, that <laughs> live or are from Sid Cup, but um, I, I'm pretty sure Sophie's Choice isn't uh, still open. I would just like to say, though, if they are listening, it was damn good food. <laughs> was it? <laughs> yes, it was. Something, something says fish restaurant to me. No, it was like, yeah, it was like a steak. It was like a steakhouse. It was a steakhouse. Yeah, yeah. It was very posh. 
Was it? Yeah, it was really, really posh. That's what it was just mental to me. Like, what kind of name for a restaurant is that? But whatever. <laughs> Table for two at Sophie's Choice. Table Rachel for two Jackson. at Sophie's Choice. <laughs> now, for those that don't know, I do know what uh, Groundlings is. Yeah. And uh, I, I was quite fascinated with it. As I am, I'm always fascinated with comedy and stand-up. I've been for years since I was mm. a kid. And I remember hearing about Groundlings for the first time and thinking, oh, I would love to do that. That oh. sounds like hell and joy <laughs> at the same time. And it looks really... And it's, it's certainly not an easy ride. Yeah. At all. Could you just explain to everybody uh, what it is and what you're... Doing, which I want to know more of because the reason why we had to sort of fit our episode in now because you're going to be busy later on tonight. Yeah, so, well, Groundlands is like a, a improv school and company based in Los Angeles and it's a pre- predominantly improv but they also do sketch comedy and mm-hmm. it's predominantly character-based because there's, 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 there's like Second City and there's all these other really cool improv troops around the world in Chicago and New York and, well, I say around the world, in America. <laughs> you know, like the big sort of famous ones, I mean. But Groundlings is the, the one that's really predominantly based on characters. And, you know, people like my, people, my favourite people like Lisa Kudrow and Will Ferrell and Melissa McCarthy and all these total badass, like, mental character people uh, went there. And um, so it always kind of been on my mind, um, but I'd never, you know what, life life can go so fast and things that you like to do. And then, you know, long story short, um, when I got dumped, I got dumped, I don't mean to go on a pure sad note, but I got dumped at Christmas 2019. So just before the pandemic, so I didn't even know how shittier things were about to get. <laughs> and I got dumped. Perspective, perspective. Perspective, Rachel. perspective. And I got dumped. We'd been together for four years. Right. And he dumped me on WhatsApp at Christmas time. And, you know, you'd think I'd had an affair, you know, for that kind of... But nothing of the sort. He just wasn't happy anymore, didn't love me, and that's how he chose to do it. And it was the toughest... It was like... It was like the only way I can describe it is having the rug from my life just pulled out from under me. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, looking back, I know... Now I can look back and I think it, it wasn't the happiest relationship ever. And I think I was probably in denial for a while, trying to make it work, you know... And we're just two different things. Sometimes things just don't work, and, and that's fine. But um, t- you still don't expect it, you know, when you're just... Look. So long story short, um, this is this is what makes me think I'm, like, the ultimate badass. Because even though I was so depressed, I was so low, uh, three days after that happened, I booked a flight to Los Angeles, and I booked an addition at Groundlings. Three days after this happened. Wow. Because that's the way my brain works. That I feel like when I'm fucked over, I go into like um, ultimate warrior sort of. Yeah. You know, um, like Braveheart. You know, I'm like, <laughs> like you know, don't fuck with me because I'm, I'm I'm loyal and I'm a very kind person. All my friends and family would tell you that, and I'll give everything a hundred and a million percent. But once someone crosses the line and that's it, they don't want me. And they're like, you know, it's like, well, now I need to live the best revenge life of all time. You know, but no one likes getting dumped. It's, it's awful. No, and, you know, but also you, you needed to do something for you. I had to do something for me, yeah. And, and something scary, but something, something important. Scary, something empowering, scary. Yeah. All those things. So me and my mum flew to LA. And so, yeah, how, how Groundlings works is to, in order, like the people I mentioned, like all the big stars who've done it, they were part of the main company, right? Yeah. So you have to work your way up to get to that level. And obviously not everyone makes it that far or maybe... 
you know, they make it before they even get, you know, like they get a big, amazing career anyway, whatever. But I just, I looked into it and I thought this, it just felt like my path. It felt like the right thing to do. So I went to LA with my mum, auditioned for Groundlands, had the most amazing time. And I was like, honestly, I was, I'm, I'm not kidding around when I say I was severely depressed because, you know, I just had my heart broken and my mental health took a real dive. And I was just, uh, I was miserable. But it was like, there's still that part of my brain that I'm like, no, but I still, I still need to like, like exceed revenge. <laughs> like I still, <laughs> I still need to prove this cunt wrong. Who's basically thinks that I'm not worth being with. Mm. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, I'm going to live this amazing life and make him rue the day he ever decided to leave me. Because that's just the nature of my personality, you know. So long story short, went to LA, auditioned for Groundlands, had the most incredible time at the audition. It was just, I, I, I described it, like actually I, I said to someone else, and I'm not trying to sound pure, but I think I had a comedy orgasm at the audition. Explain to me a comedy <laughs> orgasm, my Rachel. Whole, my whole body started vibrating right. with like good, like funny, positive vibes. Good, felt, good energy flowing through you. Yes. Right. I was in this room with all these other really funny people because even the audition standard, like these, you know, people just, because anyone can audition. You don't have to have had any sort of credits or, you know, how with like Spotlight, you've got to have done a certain amount of things before you're allowed on it. Nothing like that. You could just go, I want to do Groundlings and just audition, right? So I go, but the standard, maybe I just got lucky that day, but the standard was so high. Like everyone was there and they were bringing it. Wow. And it was just the most exciting. And the, the, the teacher was amazing and she kept like, barking things at us to do, like, crazy stuff. And my old body, like, started vibrating. <laughs> and I just thought, this is the most exciting feeling I've ever had. It was, honestly, Craig, no word of a lie. It, so it felt like I was like, right, this is my path. So thank fuck I got in. Imagine feeling like that and then not getting in. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you mean I haven't got in? Did you not see? I yeah. had a comedy orgasm yes, exactly. right there and then. Yeah, I know. Wet floor side, please. I've just, <laughs> I've just, like, I've just, you know, like, so, and I even said that because we had to go around the circle. It was like AA, but like, you know, we had to go around and say like, you know, what had brought us here and all that. And I, I thought, I don't want to give them the sob story. I don't want to do X Factor. I don't want to say, oh, I've just got dumped. And I don't want to say any of that because I want my talent to get me in, not my sob story. But I just said, you know, I feel like this is my path now. I've come all the way from Scotland for this. Uh, so like, come on, bring it on kind of thing. And I was one of two Brits, even though I hate that word. I hate the word Brit. <laughs> but it was, all, it was all Americans. There was one English guy and me. So it felt, and he, to be fair, was living in LA at the time. So it felt like I was like, well, I've made the most bloody effort. Yeah. Like, I've, I've, you know, I've come, so, you know. So anyway, did the audition. It went, it went really, really well. But you just don't know. You know what it's like with additions. You could, of course. You, you can do really well and still not get the job. It's just yeah. mental. So anyway, the next day, me and my mum were in Disneyland, of all places, because, you know... And I got the email and honestly, Craig, I read the email and I was skimming down to the bit that said, unfortunately, because you know what it's like, rejection is rife in, in our industry. And I've had so many knocks and so many rejections that when I get an email, I, I just I just skim and I try and find unfortunately, but it said congratulations. And it was just the most, it was just the most unreal. I just started, I burst into tears. My mum burst into tears. We're crying in Disneyland, Craig. People think we're oh. insane. <laughs> You know, like, who are these mad Scottish women crying at Disneyland? Like, you're in the happiest place on earth, love. Like, exactly. Ha- have a word with your face, you know? And then we went on It's a Small World and we were still crying on It's a Small World. We were just so... Because it was it was an emotional trip, you know, because of what had happened before. And 
And it was like, oh, thank fuck for that, because that was a long way to come from addition to, to have got a knockback. I mean, you both needed a release. We both for fuck's needed sake. a release. My well, I had God. one in the addition, as, as I told oh, you about. Oh, well, there we go, yeah. <laughs> okay, you had, a, you had a double release. I had a we double release, those. yeah. Like, what else can my body do, man? <laughs> like, it was unreal. But uh, So anyway, that was just the beginning. That was just the beginning of my journey, because that's just getting into the school. Mm. That's not anywhere near the main company level. Uh, but I did a tweet. I d- is, do you know Ralph Little? Is I do that, know Ralph Little. That'll be yeah. why, because he congratulated me. And I thought, Ralph Little's just congratulated me on Twitter. And I think it's because you'd retweeted it or you'd said, well done, Rachel, or something. I might have done, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then Ralph Little was like, wow, this is amazing, congrats. I was like, this is Ralph Little. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, just blown away. But um, then, obviously, I planned to go and start at the school um, last summer. And then March came and COVID yeah. came and, and the school completely shut down and, and it was ugh, it was horrible because I just thought, God, it's like another roadblock to this revenge life that I'm trying to like, lead, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, it's a roadblock and it's a long story short, um, a few months ago they started doing it on Zoom. So they, because obviously they want to keep, they want to keep it going. And yeah, of course. So they figured it away because they've never had to do that, you know, it's always been live. So they figured out a way to do it on Zoom. And so I was getting email saying that I could start if I wanted, but on Zoom. And I, I held off for about three months because I just thought, that sounds shite. I don't want to do improv on Zoom. No. Across the pond where you're, you're on a different time zone to everyone and Wi-Fi can cut out and you could be in the middle of a scene and then it's like, uh, 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 you know, like crazy. Yeah. And I just thought, that sounds like hell on earth. But then the new year came and went and got into 2021. And I just thought, God, who knows how much longer this COVID thing's going to go on for. I should just bite the bull by the horns and try it on Zoom and see how I get on. So I started level one uh, in February, six-week course. And then at the end of that, found out I passed and I progressed to level two, um, which I'm now on. And I've only got two weeks left. And then I'll find out if I've gotten to level three. So, yeah, that's how it works. You just It's like, I say, it's like comedy, comedy Scientology. Like, it's like the, you know, <laughs> you've got to get to each level to find out more and all that. But um, not that I'm saying it's a cult, <laughs> a comedy cult. But so I'm on level two at the moment. Hopefully, fingers crossed, I, I pass this level and I'll get to level three. And then if I pass level three, then that's me done all the uh, performance side of it. And then the only thing I need to do at that point is do like this, like sketch writing thing, just to see. Right. Because they, they need to see if you're a good sketch writer as well as a performer and, char- you know, your characters and stuff. So long story short, I'm, I'm I'm working my way up to hopefully get invited to the Sunday company. And if I get invited to the Sunday company, then that means I'll have to pack my bags and go to LA and move. Well, you know, I would be sorry to see you go, but obviously massive congratulations for all that you're doing. I mean, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Oh, I don't know, thank you. I don't, I don't know a lot of people that are doing that. Oh, thanks, Doing Craig. something so historic like Groundlings. Oh, thank you, Craig. That, um, it means a lovely. lot. Thank you. I mean, I just, I just feel like I found my path in life, and I know again, I sound now. I really do sound like I'm in a cult saying that, but I, I do feel like I found my path, and I feel like I don't, I don't care that it, t- it took me this long because I know some people start on these things when they're 21, or I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter as long as you find where you're meant to be in life. It doesn't matter what age you do it at. It doesn't, and it can come at any time. Yeah. But it's just, you know what it's like, there's such a, in our industry as well, like ageism and, and all that kind of stuff. And like, I'm 33, 33 at the moment, <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> we get older every day. Uh, but I just, I feel like I've got a zest for life or a Ziggy Pop, a lust for life that uh, I've, it's just stronger than ever. 
And I just, I'm just like, you know what? Because I know people, oh, even people think, I read an article, Craig, when I was in a really dark mood a couple of years ago. It was one of those, you know, one of those awful midnight moods where you just feel like you've made every wrong decision and your career's going nowhere. It's just like a horrible, horrible downward spiral. And I got into this rabbit hole, horrible online article that said, uh, if you've not made it (laughs) by the time you're 30, give up and find something else. Oh, no, don't read that. No, I know. And, and and it was the most... And as I was reading, I was thinking, why am I reading this? But you know those awful self-destructive moods where it's just like you can't stop yourself. Probably like Absolutely. why people read bad reviews and, you know, yeah. that kind of, when you get into that bad mode. And I was like, why am I reading this? And it was like... It was, it was just basically saying the statistics of people who actually make it in their chosen field, especially in our industry, because it's, you know, there's so many factors. It's not just like if you're a good lawyer, you can, you can get to the top, or if you're a good doctor, you can get to the top. It's so many other things come into play with what we do. But it was this horrible article. I don't know why I read it. But, um, yeah, it was like, especially as a woman, if you've not made it in the entertainment business by the time you're 30, then give up because you're just going to be old soon anyway and, and you're discarded and... I just thought, ew, a, that's disgusting. Mm. But let's be honest, like, it's not completely untrue. I'm not saying 30s old or anything. I'm just saying in our business, like, the way women are treated as they get older is horrific. And I think that's another reason why I love comedy so much, because there's not as much ageism in comedy as there is as a pure actress. No. You know, and I'm like, well, I could be really old and wrinkly one day, but I can still be funny, and funny's funny. And... But it's just, but it's it's disgusting. It's something that really angers me. But that's why I've started using retinol as well because I'm like one of these cunts that refuses to age. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm 33. I'm like, but I'm like, nah, man. I want to be one of these freaks that when they're 50, people think they're like 35. Like I just, I've made a deal with the devil. I've got a painting in my attic. I'm on. I'm on a good streak. <laughs> Long may the positivity and the retinal use continue. Rachel Jackson, thank you so much for coming on. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Craig. And another episode is done. I really hope that that cheered up your Friday. She's great, isn't she? There's the... uh, police again um i told you i told you she's a huge board of energy and she's great and she's channeling it in all the right places um and if you didn't know uh, about the history of groundlings then give it a google the people that have passed through their doors over the years are basically a roll call of some of your favorite comedy actors working out there today they're brilliant and it just goes to show it's like what me and Rachel were talking about even though Rachel's saying that you know she feels at 33 maybe things have passed her by not we all know 33 is pretty young but it wouldn't matter if she's 43 do you know what I mean because it just happens at a certain point in your life and it's like as Rachel said as Rachel said I don't know what's going on with my speech impediment today um as Rachel said she can still be old and wrinkly and she can still be funny. So it just happens when it happens. And she's channeling it in all the right way. Um, and yeah, do check out Beats. Do follow Rachel Jackson on Twitter. She's very funny. And as she said, uh, gigs are starting to happen. So if you're at a comedy club, you see the name Rachel Jackson, go see her. Tell her I sent you. Okay, look, you know where we are. We are on all the social medias, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, at Two Shot Pod. We're Two Shot Pod at gmail.com. Do drop us a line. Say hello. 
tell us what you're thinking about the episodes. We always love to hear from you. Um, thanks for all the messages uh, about the episodes over the past few weeks, the Q&A from a few weeks back, which I'm always quite nervous about, to be honest, because for years I'd, I'd, I'd put them off. People had asked, and I said, oh, I don't really want to do that, because, you know, the sort of ethos about this podcast is I never want it to be about me, but I suppose I'm, I'm trying hard not to. I, I would never, you know, I would never want anything to be narcissistic in any way at all. It is always about the guest, but I suppose in that Q&A, it was about responding to the listener, Yeah. That makes sense, doesn't it? Anyway, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad it, down, it went down well. Um, I'm going to go and make some dinner. So uh, I guess I'll see you next week. Okay, well, look, you take care, stay safe, and we'll see you back here, um, uh, hopefully on Thursday next week. Until then, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. You take care. Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. <laughs>